1: Well, hey there, friends. Welcome to a special bonus Patreon episode. I'm your host, Melanie Peterson, and this one is one that I did previously to go along with my vampire theme from back in October, and it is a doozy. Today, I'm going to cover the butcher of Hanover, Fritz Harmon. Now, this guy is no picnic. I've actually had legit nightmares about him where I knew it was him, but he was actually in the form of one of my close relatives and it was scary enough that I bolted up right in bed in the middle of the night, covered in sweat. My cat was staring at me all freaked out, so I was probably making some kind of distressing sound as I slept and I don't even think I fell back asleep that night. So needless to say, he really haunts me. He really freaks me out. Fritz Harman terrorized Hanover, Germany for six years claiming the lives of at least 24 young men and boys, but he is suspected of dozens more. He was a well-known black market butcher, a favorite among housewives for his ability to procure affordable meat, and he also sold secondhand clothing. To those who knew him and knew him around town, he was a quiet, friendly man. Perhaps a bit eccentric, but no one ever suspected him of being a brutal serial killer. He was even a police informant during the time of his killing spree, so police knew who he was, and they liked him. They kept using him as an informant. He was highly regarded as their favorite, but for some reason, they had no clue about his extracurricular activities. There was a slew of murders. Young men and boys who were often runaways would go missing and then their mutilated, lifeless bodies would be uncovered or the remains would be found on a riverbank. And each of the victims whose bodies were still mostly intact were found. Police noticed they all had a wound to the neck, a bite mark that pierced the windpipe. And that's something that he later referred to as a love bite, earning him a second moniker as the vampire of Hanover. He was executed on April 25, 1925 by guillotine, just like fellow German serial killer Peter Curtin would be a few years later. Just before the blade fell, Harmon said, quote, I repent, but I do not fear death, end quote. Buckle up, my friends, this one is going to be a bumpy ride. This is Mask of Sanity. Friedrich Fritz Harman was born on October twenty-fifth, 1879, in Hanover, Germany. He was the second youngest of seven children, and the family was extremely poor. They were destitute, they had very little. His father was known as Sulky Ollie, and he worked as a railroad fireman. He was also reportedly extremely hard on his youngest son, and Fritz was not a good student. He preferred, quote, playing with dolls, wearing dresses, and avoiding other children, especially boys, end quote. He was remembered as being mostly a sickly child and staying as close to his mother as possible, basically until he was a teenager. His father, Ollie, believed that his son was weak, and in an attempt to toughen him up, he sent his son Fritz to a military school in Breisach, Germany, when he was just 16 years old. Fritz apparently enjoyed his time at the school and thrived in a military environment, but after a few months he was diagnosed with epilepsy and it's also suspected that Fritz suffered from some form of mental illness which became more apparent during this time. After about a year of treatment and trying to see if there was a way that could keep him in the academy, he ended up being dismissed and when he returned to Hanover his father was incredibly disappointed. He looked at his son as a failure Fritz got a job working in a cigar factory, but in 1898, he was arrested for allegedly molesting young boys, but when he was eventually evaluated by a psychologist, he was found not mentally fit to stand trial, so Harmon was sent to a mental institution for further observations and intervention, and his father saw this as an opportunity. He didn't think very highly of his son, he didn't want to put up with any of his issues. So, he seemed to kind of make it his mission to get his son to be accepted as a permanent resident in the asylum. He didn't want his son out in the real world walking around. I'm sure with the medical issues as well as the playing with dolls, the wearing dresses, the not wanting to play sports, which just because you don't want to play sports as a boy doesn't mean there's something wrong with you, but At this time, I'm sure his father was very worried that his son was too weak and I hate to say it, but probably too feminine to survive. Fritz remained in the institution for six months before he escaped and he fled to Switzerland where he would stay for almost the next two years. He was working and while there he met and was soon engaged to a woman named Erna Lowert. But the engagement didn't last long. Fritz actually broke it off upon learning that Erna was pregnant. And then he moved back to Germany in 1900, feeling obligated for whatever reason to complete his compulsory military service, even though he probably would have been excused due to his medical history, Fritz Harmon enlisted in the army, allegedly using a fake name, because if they had realized who was trying to enlist, they would have rejected him but for some reason, he felt this need to serve. But again, his time in service was short. He was dismissed in 1902 for medical reasons because of his epilepsy. This time, he was, quote, awarded a full military pension and returned to live with his family and took employment in the small business his father had established, end quote. His father, still made attempts to send his son back to the asylum for good whenever he had the opportunity but fritz always managed to sidestep that and because fritz and his father were always at odds they fought constantly and one time after a really big fight fritz was arrested and charged with assault against his father so once again he was evaluated by a psychologist and found competent but the charges were dropped and he returned home to his family At this point, Fritz was living solely off his military pension, but in 1904, his pension actually increased when he was finally officially listed as disabled. So with the extra income, he decided to try to open a small shop, but it went bankrupt shortly after. For the next 10 years, Fritz Harmon would resort to petty crime and robbery to supplement his income. He would frequently be arrested and did a few short stints in jail, but eventually, He was able to charm his way into becoming an informant for the Hanover police. And he gave officers what they believed was reliable and consistent information about other criminals around the city. He was still a repeat offender while he was informing on his fellow criminals. And eventually police got fed up with the hypocrisy because he was ratting on these criminals, but he was still going and committing crimes himself. So... They decided enough was enough and charged him with multiple thefts. And it was right around the time of the start of World War one. So this was 1914. Fritz was found guilty, obviously, and sentenced to a five year term. But by the time he was released in 1918, he actually got out about a year early. He was let back out into a society that was completely ravaged by poverty from the war and while in jail, He had met a 24-year-old pimp named Hans Granz, and the two of them fell in love. While they were both in jail, they actually made a promise to each other that once they were both out, they would live together. So by the time Fritz got out, he went and found a place. And then once Hans was released, he came to live with Fritz. They were living together. Fritz really had no real occupation he still worked as an informant for the police and because of how desperate the country was right now it really gave him a much easier opportunity to commit crime without really being suspected or noticed by authorities because crime was so rampant in addition to working as an informant he also occasionally worked for smugglers but eventually fritz began to feel himself turning his attention towards young boys. 17-year-old Friedel Roy ran away from home in September 1918, but his father soon set out after him. He wanted to find his son and bring him back home, so he went searching all over Hanover, asking whoever he could if they had seen his son. He soon, quote, learned that young Friedel had been friendly with Harmon, who often took young boys over to his apartment for a bit of fun, end quote. With this new information, Friedel's father went straight to the police, begging them to go to Harmon's home and ask him about his son. After much resistance from the police due to Harmon standing as one of their most reliable informants, he finally convinced them. So they visited Harmon's home, but instead of finding the missing teenager, they found Fritz Harmon in bed with a 13-year-old boy. What police didn't know at the time was that the severed head of Friedel Roy had been hidden behind Harmon's stove the entire time they were in his home. Harmon was arrested and charged with the sexual assault of a minor and served nine months. When he was released, he went right back to his same pattern, working as an informant for the police, and he also began to hang out around the train station in Hanover, selecting young boys who were traveling alone or who were working as sex workers. He would offer them... Somewhere to rest at his home, a warm meal, a comfortable bed. And unfortunately, because of how devastated Germany was from the war, there was a large influx of runaways during this time, so Fritz Harman had ample opportunities. His victims were mostly, quote, young male commuters, runaways, and occasionally male prostitutes who hung around Hanover's Central Railway Station. Whom Harmon would lure back to his apartment and then kill by biting through their throats, sometimes while sodomizing them. All his victims were dismembered before they were discarded, usually in the River Leine. Over the next six years, Fritz Harmon committed 24 known murders of young boys, but he's suspected of at least 27, with the real number likely even higher. After the murder of Friedel Roy on September 25, 1918, Fritz wouldn't kill again until February 12, 1923, when he lured 16-year-old Fritz Frank to his home. On March 20th, 17-year-old Wilhelm Schultz, an apprentice writer, went missing. Two months later, on May 23rd, 15-year-old student Roland Hutch disappeared from the Hanover railway station. And just days later, a runaway from Limer, Germany. 18-year-old Hans Sonnefeld vanished from the streets of Hanover. Whatever possessions that belonged to his victims that either he or his lover Hans didn't want, Fritz would actually sell on the black market so he became known as a second-hand clothing salesman. 13-year-old Ernst Ehrenberg disappeared while running an errand for his parents on June 25, 1923. When Harmon was finally arrested, he was found in possession of Heinrich Strauss's violin case. He had murdered and dumped the 18-year-old's body on August 24th. A month later, on September 24th, Paul Broniszewski's uncle grew concerned when his nephew never arrived at his home for a visit. 18-year-old Paul was never seen again. Richard Graf, 17, was so thrilled that a Hanover detective had offered him a job and excitedly told his friends about it. Graf would go missing in September, and it's suspected that the detective was actually Fritz Harmon. In October 1923, three more boys went missing. 16-year-old Wilhelm Erdner disappeared from the Hanover station on October 12th. Fritz Harmon later sold his bicycle. On October 24th, 16-year-old Herman Wolf vanished, but his clothing and other belongings were found in the possession of Fritz as well as several of Harmon's friends. Three days later, on the 27th, Heinz Brinkman, 13, missed his train home. He was last seen at the Hanover Railway Station. On November 11th, witnesses state they saw Fritz Harmon walking away with 15-year-old Adolf Hannepal, who was working as an apprentice. Adolf was never seen again. 19-year-old Adolf Hennies, ran away to Hanover in search of a job, and was last seen on December 6, 1923. Harmon wouldn't strike again until January 5 of the following year, when he plucked 17-year-old Ernst Spiker off the streets while he was on his way to testify at a trial. Less than two weeks later, 18-year-old Heinrich Koch, a known acquaintance of Harman's, disappeared on January 15. 19-year-old Willie Sanger and 15-year-old Herman Speichert disappeared just six days apart on February 2nd and February 8th. Articles of Sanger's clothing were discovered in Harman's home after his arrest. Fritz Harman took a short break, not attacking again until April 1924. On the 6th, 16-year-old Alfred Hogriff went missing. His clothing was once in Harman's possession. The last time anyone saw 22-year-old Herman Bach was when he was spotted walking towards Harmon's apartment in mid-April. 15-year-old Wilhelm Apel went missing as he walked to work on April 17, 1924, and just nine days later, Harmon murdered 18-year-old Robert Witzel and dumped his body in the Leine on April 26. Harmon would claim three more victims in May. Heinz Martin, 14, disappeared while waiting for the train on May 9th. On May 26th, he attacked and murdered 17-year-old Fritz Wittig and then went back out that same day and abducted 11-year-old Friedrich Abeling, who would be Harman's youngest known victim. On June 5th, 1924, 16-year-old Heinrich Koch was on his way to a college class and was last seen walking with Fritz Harmon. Finally, on June 14th, 1924, a little over a week before he would finally be captured, Fritz Harmon murdered 17-year-old Eric DeVries. During these six years, as dozens of young boys went missing and Harmon continued to be the Hanover Police Department's favorite informant, he was either able to redirect their attention if things got a little too focused on him, or perhaps it's also suspected that the police turned a blind eye to his crimes. They had done it before, so it's not unheard of that they would have done it again. They didn't say anything when they'd see him selling clothes or items that clearly didn't belong to him. They never questioned the source of his meat. And it wasn't until more and more parents of missing boys came to Hanover in search of their sons, pleading with police to do something about it, that they finally began to take the whole thing seriously The unknown killer was being referred to as the Vampire of Hanover, and because he had skated under the radar for so long, Fritz Harmon was feeling pretty much unstoppable. Except things would begin to change in May, 1924. Police were called to the banks of the River Laine after children found a skull and several other bones washed up on the riverbanks. By now, there was really no way for police to ignore what they suspected was the work of Fritz Harman. They knew that there were probably more remains in the River Lina, so police dragged it and uncovered, quote, more than 500 human bones, which were later confirmed as having come from at least 22 separate human individuals, end quote. And given Fritz's history with child molestation, as well as Being a suspect in the disappearance of Friedel Roy, police put him under surveillance and waited to see what their informant would do. On June 22nd, they followed Fritz as he loitered around the railway station. They observed him as he was talking to a young boy and trying to convince the boy to come back to his apartment. Before Fritz was able to leave with the boy, police jumped out and arrested him, likely saving that boy's life. They also searched his apartment and were horrified at the state it was in. Blood-stained floors, blood on the walls, the apartment stunk of rotting meat. Fritz attempted to explain away their suspicion by stating that the mess was just from his work as a butcher. But when they uncovered over 100 items and pieces of clothing belonging to some of the missing boys, the jig was up. At the police station, Harmon was interrogated by the same men he had worked with for years, and he quote, quickly confessed to raping, killing, and butchering young men since 1918. When asked how many he had killed, Harmon claimed, somewhere between 50 and 70. The police, however, could only connect Harmon with the disappearance of 27 youths, and he was charged with 27 murders. End quote. Despite his connection to the 27 victims, police allegedly only found items in his home that belonged to about seven of those victims. So who did the rest of those items belong to? And how many victims' possessions had he already sold on the black market? Because of this, there's no way of telling just how many boys he really killed. Fritz Harman remained in custody until the start of his trial on December 4th, 1924. And because of the magnitude of his crimes and the attention that came along with it, Fritz's trial was basically a circus. The public and the press referred to Harman as a werewolf, a vampire, and even the wolfman due to his love bites on the neck, as he so disgustingly called them. While the crimes were horrific enough, what really infuriated the public was the fact that it looked like the police may have been too close to the situation to realize that Harmon was the killer and to stop him because he was so frequently giving up other criminals but at the same time Harman was able to divert their attention about the crimes away from him even though he was actually one of the last known people to see several of the victims before they disappeared. I'm betting he even told the police once or twice that he was keeping an eye out for the killer. I mean, it's just a complete and total joke. The ego that this man has is astounding. After his capture, he even told police that Hans knew about most of the murders and even tried to get him to participate in the murders of Adolf Hannibal and Fritz Wittig, but he mostly remained uninvolved. Fritz also led police to where he had dumped Eric Vries's remains. It's even rumored that he cut up pieces of his victim's flesh and sold them as beef or pork cutlets, earning him a reputation as a black market butcher, who was popular for not only the affordable meat that he sold, but also for his friendly disposition. His trial lasted about two weeks, and Fritz seemed basically completely unconcerned about why he was there he didn't seem very worried he allegedly smoked cigars in the courtroom and hurled insults at the judge the prosecutor the witnesses when he was shown a photo of one of the missing boys he quote shouted at the boy's grieving father that he could never have had anything to do with the child as he was far too ugly end quote on december 19th he was found guilty of 24 out of the 27 murder charges complete with a death sentence now what doesn't make sense to me is that he was acquitted of three of those murders even though he was in possession of items that belonged to the victims or he had given them to people he knew the only difference here is that fritz himself denied killing these three boys so my question is Why are they taking him at his word? He's not being even remotely honest until he gets backed into a corner. He's never actually admitted to the full number of victims that he is responsible for killing. So why was that enough for the courts to not be convinced that he killed them? Knowing that his execution was growing nearer, Harmon also asked that on his tombstone, the following be written as his inscription he wanted the words here rests the exterminator fritz harman would finally be executed on april 25th 1925 by the guillotine stating i repent but i do not fear death well that's just great fritzy i'm glad that it's all about you and how you feel i kind of wish that you had feared death because your victims sure as hell didn't have that option before you brutally murdered them. And I'm not sure if they actually gave in to his request. I wouldn't have, because the whole thing just shows me that he really didn't care about what he had done, and it makes the whole, I repent, but I do not fear death, last words thing seem incredibly hollow. After his execution, Harmon's brain was removed and preserved for medical study. I think scientists were hoping to examine it performed tests possibly determine if there were any structural differences in his brain that might account for his behavior. Eventually, his brain was moved to and kept at the Göttingen Medical School until 2015 when, quote, the medical school in Göttingen, tired of storing Harmon's preserved head and cremated it, end quote. Sadly, Because most of the remains of his victims were incomplete, and at the time it was really difficult to determine which remains belonged to which victims, the decision was made to bury all of them together in a communal grave. They also erected a large granite stone memorial at the gravesite, so that people could go and pay their respects. After his trial, Harmon's lover Hans was actually charged with and found guilty of, quote, enticement to murder in the case of Adolf Hannibal, an apprentice who vanished from Hanover's railway station on November 11th, 1923. Witnesses had seen Granz in the company of Harman pointing to Hannibal. end quote. Remember, Harman had already stated during his interrogation that Hannibal's murder was one of only two that Hans Granz was a part of. However, it's m- possible that Hans was not willingly participating, I would not be surprised if he was emotionally bullied into helping Fritz not only actively participate in these murders, but also in keeping quiet about the other murders. With this witness testimony, the jury believed that the murder of Adolf Hannibal was actually carried out because of Grand's selection of the boy. And because of this, granz was sentenced to death. However, Quote, the discovery of a letter from Harmon declaring Granz's innocence later led to a second trial and a 12-year prison sentence for Granz. After serving his time, Granz continued to live in Hanover until his death around 1980, end quote. All right, friends, that was your October bonus Patreon episode covering Fritz Harmon. He's definitely a scary one, if only because of the fact that he would bite through the necks of his victims and then callously and gruesomely refer to it as a love fight, as if any part of his actions were indicative of love. At the time of his capture, Harmon's homosexuality shed light on the issue that homosexuality was actually illegal in Germany at this time and due to the violent sexual acts that were part of the murders, it reinforced in the minds of German citizens that homosexuals, all homosexuals, were dangerous and should be feared. Sadly, when Adolf Hitler and the Nazi party came to power in Germany just a few years later, the fear and rejection of homosexuality gave the Nazis freedom to add homosexuals to their campaign of murder. So along with the Jews, the gypsies, everybody else that was targeted by the Nazis Homosexuals were also added to that list. This is the second completely repulsive serial killer that plagued Germany during the 1920s. I covered Peter Curtin in an episode a couple weeks ago, and both men are just completely grotesque. And since Curtin gave himself up years after Harmon's execution, I have to wonder if Harmon's capture was of any concern to Curtin. Or perhaps maybe he didn't register that kind of emotion or feel concerned or worried that he too would be captured. And maybe, I I just, I don't know. It's kind of mind-boggling to me. I mean, it shouldn't be because serial killers are so much more common than we think they are. We're just unaware of what's happening before they're captured. So the fact that there were two very lethal men in Germany around the same time, committing very similar murders. It's really, it's scary. And like Curtin, I do feel like Harman felt like he was just completely untouchable and unstoppable. Additionally, both men helped inspire, quote, the German expressionist filmmaker Fritz Lang's classic 1931 thriller, M. In M, both the police and criminals in a large German city hunt for a serial killer who preys on young children, end quote. I think that film also stars Peter Lorre as the serial killer. I haven't seen it, but I think I'm going to add it to my list because I do love a good thriller and I do like Peter Lorre. I think he's a fun, fun actor to watch. Okay as always thank you so much for being my patreon subscribers you are all a very special bunch to me because you've chosen to support my work financially and i really appreciate it i hope you're enjoying these bonus episodes if you have suggestions for a bonus episode that you want me to cover go ahead and reach out you can reach me through email podcast at gmail.com or on any of the social medias and if you have questions about anything I've done so far reach out or you can look in my resources I always link them in the episode notes in case you want to go back read through see if there was anything that you needed clarified or just wanted to do a little more searching I'd just like to give a quick shout out to my newest Patreon subscriber, Trevor Michael. Thank you so much for subscribing to my show, for supporting my show. It really means the world to me, and I hope that you're enjoying all of the episodes so far. And please stick around after the episode for the promo trailer for a couple of amazing shows, Murder Bucket and Anomalous Fascination. Both shows cover topics that I am super interested in. Murder Bucket's host Hannah takes... Deep dives into different murders and other weird stuff. Her episode on the Eastern State Penitentiary is one of my favorites. So, if anything, definitely go and listen to that one. And Anomalous Fascination covers unexplainable phenomena. This is a topic that just sends shivers down my spine. The universe is huge and there's so much we don't know. And Andrew really does a great job of breaking it down so that someone can try to understand what we don't understand. So please go check out these shows, subscribe, and leave them a five-star rating and review. Thank you all so much for listening. And until next time, stay safe, friends. Mask of Sanity is partnered with the Oracle Network.
0: Hey, hey! Are you that weird one in your friend's group that loves to watch true crime documentaries? Have you ever wanted to learn more about the lesser-known crimes? And are you fascinated with ghost stories? I'm Hannah, the creator, editor, and host of Murder Bucket, a podcast that talks about, get this, murders, paranormal activity, abductions, kidnappings, and weird stuff. Join me every Tuesday wherever you listen to podcasts to get the inside scoop on some of the most interesting topics in the true crime world. I am also very active on social media. You can find me on Instagram at MurdBucket, Facebook at BucketMurd, and Twitter at The Murder Bucket.
1: Hello friends, take a dive into the unknown with the anomalous fascination podcast, a new podcast where I research and discuss some of the most incredible and unexplainable phenomena, people, and historical events in human history. Episodes are packed full of incredible stories, theories, and mysteries, all in short, family friendly, and easily digestible format. Prepare to be blown away by the mysteries of the universe, or, at very least, you'll be a lot more interesting at parties. To hop in, search Anomalous Fascination on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcast app of your choice. And don't forget to follow the show at AnomalyPod on Twitter. Let's take a stroll, shall we?